0: struck me this week that my children uh, attend what is called Garrett Morgan Elementary up the road, uh, but has begun to feel like Garrett Morgan Community College. Um, I remember elementary school as a time of Play-Doh and shoe-tying. How can we learn to not fight on the playground and come home without a bloody nose? Uh, They uh, have just jumped right on into the things that I swear I was learning in high school, this might speak more to the problems of Farmville school system than uh, the broader education system, but our kids are doing things uh, that are fascinating to me. Parker is in kindergarten, and you know, when I was in kindergarten, we were learning to read a pig can jig. Uh, she's learning how to interpret texts. Uh, who is the author? Who is the illustrator? What, what do each contribute to the story that is being told? Who is uh, the main characters, and who are the secondary characters? How? Uh, what is the author telling us in terms of their intent in the book? Uh, and intent is different than information, right? You can have information that's actually not about your intention. Uh, and this is fascinating uh, things to me because I'm used to this idea in, in elementary school that you'd be like, yes, I remember my birthday. <laughs> or no, I know my address. Um, and, and it has only escalated. That's Parker's kindergarten, or cl- kindergarten class. Josiah's in third grade and uh, their assignments, they, they do a test every Friday and they get graded and put in a folder and sent home for us to work through together as a family. It is a painful process uh, for me to try to work through these things. I could literally teach every one of you Biblical Hebrew in the next six months, but to try to work through these worksheets from Garrett Morgan has been uh, a humbling experience as I realize what our educators do and how our kids are being shaped. Josiah's got questions about uh, audience and uh, how the audience uh, should receive, and who is the audience, and how does that shape your understanding of the text. And to me, these are huge things uh, that I think I maybe got in 10th grade a little bit, and then got more fully uh, later in life. And it has caused me to think deeply about uh, the way we read text, right? Uh, We read um, our favorite fiction book, differently than we read the uh, manual on how to change the spark plugs in our car, right? I did that one time, and I didn't read it thoroughly, and I put them back in the wrong order, and your car jumps up and down if you uh, do that incorrectly. So I should have read with a different uh, methodology than I would read maybe a John Grisham novel or a David Arnold uh, novel, right? Uh, We've learned to ask things about text, like, who is the audience, Uh, You heard me talk about David Arnold, he's a a member of, or has been a long time member of First Church, his family's been part of it, and he writes young adult novels that are incredible no matter what your age is, but uh, his novels are targeted towards this YA audience. So if you're uh, reading this as an 80-year-old, you might perceive it one way. If you're reading it as an 18-year-old, you might perceive it one way, and if you're in sixth grade, you might perceive it a different way, right? Uh, The audience matters. Uh, in the reading of a text, and what the author intended matters in the reason, reading of a text. And I must confess that I did not uh, think about that in terms of Scripture until far too late in my life. It never crossed my mind until seminary to consider, uh, first of all, who the authors of the various parts are, and then what they intended with the text. Um, in my mind, and. Uh, uh, I had some vague notion that God was somehow involved with the writing, right? Um, I didn't ever really stop to consider how that worked. Uh, and then uh, the Bible was for the whole world, right? Uh, we have them in the drawers of our hotel rooms. Uh, every uh, Youth with a Mission mission trip I went on, we took uh, John, a uh, little paperback John, Gospel of John's with us to hand out because uh, this was going to be our tool for evangelism. I've thought about how we have used the scripture as a a thing to give to those who are outside the church to say this is the thing you should read, right? And I think the word of God uh, is mighty and powerful and persuasive, but I have been convicted that that is not what the text uh, was preserved for. Uh, I am uh, convicted deep in my bones that this book is for us is a book for those on the inside of the kingdom of God. For those who would say they are in Christ. It is the living word of God for the church. Uh, When we come to uh, interpret texts and read them, uh, if we start with this is a tool for those on the outside to figure out what they need to do to get on the inside, uh, it is going to read very differently than we say, Uh, This is a text for us on the inside to learn how to live on the inside and to welcome those on the outside. It doesn't seem like a huge distinction, but it's incredibly important. When we begin to get to things like the book of Romans, uh, if we read it primarily as an evangelistic tool for how to get those on the outside, uh, we we come away with one uh, fairly... Important takeaway, that is absolutely true. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and here's this gap between us and God, and here's how we are saved, and it's this cross-shaped thing of Jesus Christ, and to God's glory, we are saved unto salvation. And that is a beautiful message, but I am convinced it is not the primarily, primary message of the book of Romans. If we read it as a text for the church, I think it's a beautiful invitation to how to we live together despite our differences when our actions matter. We've been talking since the beginning about who this book is written to, and for most of my life, this book was written to some vague, nondescript audience. This book was written to the Christians in Rome and their particular problem, and we've been naming that problem for like, what, 95 weeks now? We've been talking about it for a while. There are two distinct crowds, the Gentile Christians who have stayed in Rome the whole time. They have achieved power and status, and they are strong and mighty. And then we have the Jewish Christians who have been exiled under one emperor and are allowed to come back under another, and they are weak. They are few in number. They don't have uh, the uh, kind of uh, financial resources and capital goods that the Gentile Christians do. They come uh, back to a church and now have to figure out how to live within it. And Paul is writing to these two groups and giving them both uh, his best wisdom of how it is that they're to live together, and, and some of the greatest conflicts between the two are, is, uh, do we keep kosher? Do we uh, not eat barbecue? Uh, can we eat shrimp alfredo? This is not the things they're eating in Rome at the day, but uh, can, do we have to eat kosher, or do we not? Do we have to circumcise our young men, or do we not? And uh, Paul is, is walking a, a fine line of trying to invite them together to see that there is great freedom in Christ, that these groups are invited to live uh, within their convictions on both sides. If you are a Jewish Christian and you want to eat nothing but vegetables, go for it. If you want to circumcise your young men, go for it. If you're a Gentile Christian and you like a good steak, go for it. If you're like, nope, I'm not going to circumcise the kids, that's great, go for it. But love each other. Create space for one another despite your differences. And we get to today's text, which uh, our lectionary has chosen as the final passage in this, this kind of journey through Romans. There's still more to go, uh, but they have left us with this. And the church has preserved uh, over centuries a group of texts for the church to, to preach and proclaim, and they chose today's Romans reading as our final word. Um, And as uh, I've kept coming back to it, I've been struck how this passage is different uh, when we read it uh, based on our audience. Welcome the person who is weak in faith, but not in order to argue about differences of opinion. One person believes in eating everything while the weak person only eats vegetables those who do eat must not look down on the ones who don't. And the ones who don't eat must not judge the ones who do because God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servants? And he goes on to talk about the observance of sacred days. Uh, the, the Jewish Christians would still do things like observe the festival of Passover, the uh, festival of the weeks and the booths and the, and, uh, I think, can't think of any more than those. Somebody can fill me in later on the other one. Uh, and and think this is an important part of living their faith as the heirs of Abraham. Uh, And the Gentile Christians are like, yeah, not doing that festival thing, uh, because every day is a festival unto God. And and, and Paul uh, invites them to live in this tension instead of trying to change each other. I felt quite nervous about this sermon all week, I want to speak very precisely uh, and within what the author intended. Um, And so I'll start with my caveat first. Um, Paul has told us that there is plenty in here about our behavior. Um, But there is still sin. There is still a need to be set free from sin. And there is a need for holiness. Uh, Nowhere in Romans does Paul say, do whatever you want. But I think he does say here, you've got to stop putting up barriers in front of people from being in. You've got to stop demanding things be exactly as you want them before they come inside. And I can hear that word uh, for the church unto today. Well, they can come, but well, if they just did X, Paul says, welcome the person who is weak. I read this text over and over and over again, and I come to a place where I find a pastor writing to a church saying, "Uh, open up the doors. Remove the signs that say you must be this tall to ride this ride, and let the people come. do wish the lectionary compilers would have given us the next part of the text because it's one that is often uh, misapplied. Uh, They stopped us at verse 12. Uh, I think they should have kept going because I think they give us a word that is hard and beautiful. So stop judging each other. Instead, this is what you should do. Never put a stumbling block or obstacle in the way of your brother and sister. I know, and I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is wrong to eat in itself. But if someone thinks something is wrong to eat, it becomes wrong for that person. If your brother or sister is upset by your food, you are no longer walking in them in love. Don't let your food destroy someone for whom Christ died. We often pull don't be a stumbling block out of its context and apply it to... Uh, Every single thing in every single place in paul's context. This is a word to the gentile christian saying you who are strong And you who think you are the sole members of the church right now You have got to think about even though it's permissible. What can you do to not harm these who are weak in faith? I get it gentile christians. I like a steak just as much as you do But if it's going to cause these jewish christians to to walk away and say I can't do this stop eating the steak If the things that you uh, do cause harm to those who would want to come in, you are in the wrong. And God knows I have had to offer all sorts of prayers of confession this week for all the barriers and stumbling blocks I've placed throughout the years. There's a whole decade of youth ministry in my past that uh, was full of uh, you must... Uh, be this way to even be part, quite frankly. I don't think I ever said those words, but surely our posturing and and, uh, speech uh, would have led you to feel that way. The early church didn't uh, see somebody and go, Sam, take this Bible and learn it! They said, hey, Sam, I love you. And they journeyed with Sam, and they loved Sam, They didn't even let Sam read the Bible for a while. That was on the side. That was for the Christians who'd been in there a while. They're like, phew, this is a bit intense. We're not going to give this to you, Sam. We're going to hold off, and we're just going to love you. And you're going to see the community. And as we die to self and rise for Christ, as we uh, continue to lay down our lives for each other, we think you're going to be captivated. And compelled by this Jesus story, and then you're going to see what it is to live out of this love of Christ, and then we're going to welcome you uh, into this communal reading of the Scriptures and how we're going to embody them together, and then we're going to welcome you into baptism, and we're going uh, to—then we're going to let you read Revelation. That's going to be way down the road. We're not going to let you read that uh, for ages. Uh, Instead of saying, hey, Sam, get it all right and then come in. You're tired of me saying your name, aren't you? It gets really uncomfortable when the pastor keeps saying your name from the front. Camden, Camden is like halfway asleep and it's like, thank God Chad is not saying my name right now. Um, uh, this is a word for us, friends. One are the stumbling blocks that we put out. What are the things we demand from those who are weak in faith or who have no faith? What are the ways we have weaponized a text to say, uh, if you only can do these things, then we will welcome you in with open arms? And I know some of you are starting to fume a little bit inside. The church still demands holiness. Um, We we read the whole of Scripture, right? Um, But we read it within its context and to who it is written. We can't read uh, Song of Solomon uh, without going back to where they were. We can't read Lamentations without imagining the Temple of Jerusalem following. We can't go to the Psalms and not imagine being in an exile and trying to understand how to worship God. So no more can we come to Romans and think this is just a generic theological text for the church in America in 2023. But I think the word that Paul had for the church in Rome is a powerfully convicting word for the church in America. I want to give us an easier out and kind of end... Uh, more bubbly. Except for here's my hope. and Here's my belief. I think Andover has worked hard to tear down some of the signs that say you must be. I think Andover has been a place that says uh, whether you are very strong in your faith, whether you have none at all, we love you. And my prayer is that that would continue and grow and that we would be a place that uh, stands ready to journey alongside those who would come through our doors amen would you pray with me holy and loving god some days it would be so much easier if your text had had an exact prescription for how we were to live for every action we were to do for everything we were to think some days it'd be easier if you would just Uh, take the strings of us as puppets and uh, move us and yet we know that would not be loving we know that you have instead invited us into conversation with you through your holy spirit to seek your heart and to discern your will lord move in mighty ways in the hearts of each of us and as us a congregation that we might tear down those stumbling blocks that would cause others uh, to see a place of unwelcome a place of rejection, a place that uh, the the barrier is just too high. Lord, if Paul can tell the church in Rome uh, that it is uh, up to you, uh, may we turn it over to you, Lord. Lord, as we seek to uh, open the doors, would you uh, lead people through them? And then would you give us a spirit that was courageous to follow you uh, right alongside them? that as we die to self and rise in Christ, uh, that your face might shine uh, in our midst. Lord, pour out your grace, that we might grow in love of you and love of our neighbor, that we might embody what it is to truly love for the sake of your kingdom and for the sake of your body. We pray all this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.